There's a lot to say when buying a new home or car, but only one thing to say that can help you protect them. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And just like that, a State Farm agent will be there to help you choose the coverage you need, no matter where you are in life. When you need coverage options, your State Farm agent is there to help, on the phone or in person. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Welcome to the Nerdist Podcast number 425. Jesus Christ. Will we ever stop? (laughs) (laughs) What are you, the AV Club? Uh, <laughs> At Midnight is starting in just a couple days. Oh, thank God. We have some other creative outlet. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. I hope people like it. The show's been really they fun to do. Like you know it's why been I like really, it? I have to say, I've done a lot of shows. I've never been this involved in the process of the, of, of the development of a show. And I absolutely love it. We have a, a phenomenal team of writers. You're on the team of writers uh, working with Funny or Die and Tom Lennon and Ben Garant. And it, it's just been... It's been kind of a dream. And with that many executive producers, you would think there'd be a lot of fighting and tension. And, and we're all just on the same... We're, we're all on the same wavelength, and, and the yeah. show's a blast. The so. writers work one hour per day per executive producer. There are 12 <laughs> that's how, that's executive producers. That's how it works. But the show, a lot of people think it was a, that it's a talk show. It's not a talk show. It's essentially like a... It's sort of the soul of a British panel show. So it's kind of a... It's kind of like a sort of... It's like a game show. So there's a game show format where three comics come on, like, you know... Think like of Have I Got News For You, but instead of news, it's the internet. It's social media and the internet and stuff, and so... Uh, uh, and, and interactive, and and so, you know, it's on at midnight after Colbert. We're going to try it out for a month, and, you know, if people like it, then we'll do more next year. And you should probably don't. like it. I mean, that's just a recommendation. If they don't, then back to the drawing board. Oh, God. The drawing board that's almost eaten through with tears. Yep. Uh, every Tears time of, we have to start over. But uh, but, unproduced things. But this show is uh, this show has been absolutely a blast, and I would you know, if I if someone said, hey, would you be happy doing the show every day for a long time? I would. So uh, give it a shot. Mid- Monday at midnight, Monday through Thursday after Colbert. Yeah, I mean DVR it. Watch it later if you have to. If you if you have to go to bed early, you know, watch us and uh, shut the fuck up. The Pete show is on at the same time. I know that DVRs can record five things. So <laughs> I can hold up to five things. Record both. <laughs> We'd like to thank Warby Parker for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. Warby Parker is the home try-on glasses program. Never used it. How is it? You, well, Matt, you can order five pairs of glasses that you can, that can be shipped directly to you for free. This sounds like something I need. Then you try them on. Okay. You get a feel for them. You get feedback from other people. Uh, five pairs for five days. And then you mail them back to Warby Parker in a prepaid package. And then they'll, what? there you go. And then they, they'll, they'll fill out your prescription. None of that bullshit of having to go to the store and deal with people? No, I know uh, you hate people, so you wouldn't have to do, do this with Warby Parker. They just send you the glasses to try on. And using the promo code NERDIST, when you buy a pair of glasses, you will receive free, expedited, two-day air shipping. Oh, uh, wow. norm- normally, you would get the glasses within 10 business days, but then, but if you use the offer code NERDIST, then uh, two-day air shipping. It's, right? like, it's like Amazon Prime, but for glasses. 
That's right. So I do want to specify that uh, when you order five pairs of glasses, you do not get those in two days with the offer code Nerdist. You only get the two-day expedited shipping when you actually purchase a pair of glasses. But then that's when you're going to need them. Yeah, and that's when you're going to want them. Too. That's when you're going to want them. Because the other four probably don't look great on your face. That's right. And that's not their fault. That's they, your fault. They you have look a weird, weird face. because you have a weird face and kind yeah. of a lopsided head, but and your eyes are too chose, far apart. And the, the one, one you chose, yeah. And then you have to bend the glasses so they fit your weirdly shaped the bridge of your nose. And so you get out of my head, Chris. That's right. I can't. I can't. I'm trapped. So crazy. Uh, it's a simplified process. Pick five frames, send back all five frames, order the final frame, use the promo code NERDIST, and then get uh, your glasses expedited shipping within two days. That's amazing. WarbyParker.com. This episode of the podcast is uh, Danny McBride and Jody Hill. Who oh, are, that was a great episode. They were fucking great. I can't imagine what that was like. Danny Tell McBride. Danny McBride, who I found out didn't even have a comedy background like you know Danny and Jody were in film school together essentially yeah. and then but they uh, you know they wrote and created Foot This Way and Eastbound and Down and uh, they're in their fourth season right now uh, it's Sundays on HBO at 10pm so uh, watch Eastbound and Down if you like to laugh and you like funny things uh, but they were yeah. But I'm not on this episode, so it's probably going to move a lot smoother somebody had to work yep. for At Midnight yeah. thank you for your sacrifice well, it's not really a sacrifice. And thank you for listening to the Nerdist Podcast at Prefer. And thank you for listening uh-huh. to the Nerdist episode. God uh-huh. <laughs> Leave this in. It's gold. 425! It's Iron Sulfite. Now entering Nerdist.com. Sorry, I'm a few minutes late. I went to the gym this morning. Here we go. And I, uh... What do you... You go to the gym, too. <laughs> oh, no. I work out in a guy's apartment. All right. So that's like a home gym. No, it's really just an apartment. Okay. Very I, high ball <laughs> swinging above. But, uh... So that, so that makes it cooler in some way? I think so. Oh, you fucking hipster. Uh, you gym hipster. <laughs> so, uh... I, I shower at the gym. I go to I go in my bag. I'm like... I forgot to bring underwear. So I was commando for the first half. I had to go purchase underwear. So I just went to put it on. Oh, nice. that's good. So you're wearing underwear for this interview. Yeah, I am. The only one. Should right? I not? Wait, what? <laughs> no, wait. I can take mine off. Does that, does that make it cooler? Please, Chris. No, shit. <laughs> good thing I got the hardwood floors. Hey, did we, uh, we did some, we did a thing at Tribeca, didn't we? Did no. I, I did not do a thing with you at I Tribeca? Think so. We didn't play Tribeca. No, not you. I mean, not, not, not the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I did something with someone. Maybe from, David Green? Was that possible David Green? Sorry, their cohort? I thought I did something with someone from Eastbound at uh, Tribeca this year, like a, like a one-on-one chat. Oh, Will Ferrell. It was not <laughs> Will Ferrell. Jody gets mistaken for Will. I get lot. that all the time. That's <laughs> fine. Yeah. So how long have you and Will been? Uh, yeah. Wow. Wow. wow so <laughs> I wanted to get you on for. So, oh, I'm sorry about the. Uh, sorry about the misunderstanding. Oh, that's we will go to Tribeca with you if you want. To. Would yeah. you like to? I, I, what I'm, I'm saying is, we my date to Tribeca. Yeah, I would love that. Is that weird? Great. Thank you. <laughs> I ran into you like two years ago at C2E2, the yeah. in Chicago, and I was like, I really want to get you on the podcast. And you're like, I know, I'm. It's been crazy. 
That's you a had a really editor. small computer there. I remember it actually inspired me to go buy a MacBook Air after that. That's what like it was, yeah. Operating off, you had like such a small little digital footprint. It was, uh, <laughs> it was impressive. <laughs> did you end up getting one? I did get one. Yeah. It's the best. He's trying to sell me on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, when you have the, uh, I mean, I had the previous, just like the regular MacBook Pro, and you're like, oh, it's not that heavy. But then when you ditch it and you get the Air, then you, then all of a sudden the other one feels like, why have I been carrying this cinder yeah. block in my backpack? <laughs> do you travel a lot? I do, yeah. I try not to now. I have a two-year-old son, so I, uh, yeah, I don't try to travel as much as I used to. But I, I'm very anal about having everything as compact and small as it can be, yeah. and yeah, so that work fits perfectly into my obsessive personality. Well, well, you can, you know, when you when you travel a lot, and then all of a sudden, well, I was, like when I travel a lot, all of a sudden I was for a period, I was like, why am I having back problems all the time? And then I go to sling this giant backpack. <laughs> You're just your iMac. <laughs> I've seen dudes like in Starbucks that bring their fucking iMacs. It's not the craziest thing because it is just one piece. It's not like the guys I've seen with bring a tower. No, but they do have to bring like a like a 24 inch fucking screen into yeah. Starbucks and, and, and they're just playing like like online games. That's I never see anyone getting like some real work done. No, I feel like I always see audio editing. It's oh, like really? it's like for DJs and audio editors, they always Starbucks. They, yeah, yeah. Starbucks. <laughs> That's where they, I mean, they sell good music yeah. there, so it's a real creative. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you, yeah, you got the go. new John Tess, you got the new Eleni Mandel, you got the Decemberists, and you got some fucking weird compilation of jazz for white people. Now, the Decemberists are fine. Yeah, sure. So was Lanny Mandel. So was all. But John Tesh is great. I mean, <laughs> he did write. And the uh, Monday Night Football. No, wait. Some other fucking football theme he wrote. Anyone? Sunday Night Football? No. The, like the NFL theme. Oh, NFL you're NFL. NFL some football! No, no, no. That was that racist guy. Yo, yeah, yeah. Hank Williams Jr. Yeah. Uh, shit, never mind. What a fucking dead end that was. Well, <laughs> as soon as we start talking about sports on this podcast, it all goes south. <laughs> yeah, this guy knew all about the Entertainment Tonight thing. <laughs> well, because it was, you know, that was, that was silly. <laughs> it's, uh, so you guys weren't supposed to have a fourth season on Eastbound, and all of a sudden you had a fourth season on Eastbound. So how did that, when you wrapped up three, when you were, were you like, well, I guess this is it. And then they were like, no, no, more. Why? Yeah. Uh, they basically just pulled a big truckload of money up to Jody's house, yeah. and Jody was instantly, "I'm on." I was in. Yeah. After that, yeah. It, it was just a coincidence. <laughs> I mean, and nothing to do. No, that was just when you had your creative no. epiphany, right? Yeah. It was. Well, it was just I mean, ironic that that would happen at the same time. Honestly, that still hasn't happened. We just, you know, it's ah. true. <laughs> it, it, I think it'll be coming shortly, right? Yeah, I, hope, we, I hope so. I, but I'm going to say that the the past two the two episodes of this new season have been like some of the tightest and funniest of the entire series. Oh, it's been great. We, we we were we were really apprehensive to do uh, another season, you know, because we were creatively we kind of like we were done with last season but uh the only thing that we didn't kind of get to do last season was like our our initial idea when we had the idea for the whole show was that you know he would get uh the love you know and in the third season it'd all be about him and his wife and kind of how shitty that would actually end up being if if that were real and uh like when we got into the writing, we were in the writing for like a month on the third season, and then we got the call that we were only going to have Mixon for two episodes because she was on Mike and Molly, and so she was like in every episode that we were planning, oh, and so we kind of 
had to scramble and basically like threw away everything we were planning to do for the third season and just kind of came up with the concept that she ditches the kid with them and that got her for two episodes, the first one, and then she returns at the last yeah. one. Well, listen, it was sort of like a Kramer versus Kramer model. We were just like, fuck, what do we do? Oh, Kramer the, versus Kramer, that works. And the important thing is it was, it was worth it to help elevate Mike and Molly. There yeah. you go. That's, so I think it really all worked out if you really think about it. Oh, we can't do this because you're going to do that? Okay. Sure, sure. I mean, that's... But I think... Uh, you know, I think people probably know that your improv background is pretty insane. And so, like, it's funny to see that happen even in a writer's room with a story. Like, well, fuck. Well, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when, when basically, you know, because of someone else, they go, freeze! Yeah. <laughs> well, what's, the, what's the occupation now? Like, what's the scene? <laughs> that was basically, that was pretty much how it was. We all just sat around a river looking at all these outlines we had made, just like, Idiots! What were we thinking? We were going to be able to have her for every. <laughs> <laughs> and we were kind of because we that was were, about a month. We were like, we're fucked. We're fucked because we were writing yeah. two productions, so we already were behind in our scripts. We always take a long time in the first episode of every season, and then we kind of have to really jam the last. So we had taken a really long time setting up the season that we were like, oh, this is everything we've always wanted. <laughs> I mean, That's where you seriously, went wrong. <laughs> you jinxed it. The only thing that could go wrong is if someone said you couldn't show up. <laughs> but other than that, this is going to be the greatest television experience. But she had, had to follow her artistic heart. <laughs> her cholesterol-filled heart. An hipster. What? Still. What? Nothing. You're fine. <laughs> so you're defending Mike and Molly? I'm not saying anything about it. You're not saying anything bad about anything. It's I don't want to. There's no reason to be shitty about things to, about people. There's well, no I'm shittiness not, in the world. I'm going to live and say that he's bound down is better than Mike and Molly. If you like Mike and Molly better than you like he's bound down, it's a weird time to say it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How dare you turn my vanilla approach on pop culture against me? <laughs> <laughs> and make it a negative thing. <laughs> now I'm gonna have this internal battle. Like, oh my god, I have to be nicer to these bound guys, so I have to shit on that other thing. <laughs> people come on, I'm gonna have to backtrack. <laughs> Who's on next week? Creator Mike and Molly. <laughs> Fuck! Damn it! It's always the way. <laughs> so I was sitting with uh, McBride and those guys who tried to dive bomb Mike and Molly. <laughs> sure glad that didn't happen. I'll be next week on the podcast. But don't you feel like there's enough negativity in the world? Yeah, we don't want to hurt on anybody. Who's no, just uh, doing this, you know, performing for people? It's right. entertainment, right? <laughs> it's such a silly occupation to begin with. But I think that uh, uh, a lot of times when you're when you're sort of shoved against the wall and then the ground drops out and you're looking down at this giant open space, which is could be the chasm of failure. That's usually when you come up with your best ideas, yeah. don't you think? And we loved uh, working on last season. We had a blast, and so it was like when it was over with. We were happy with the way everything went with the season, but. Um, you know, HBO, so we, we had another show that we wanted to pitch to HBO uh, to go kind of follow Eastbound up with. And uh, they were like, we really want you guys to do one more season of this. Is there anyone we can talk you into it? And Jody and I are both kind of like, you know, if we couldn't have Mixon, I don't know. I don't think we would be able to come up with anything. It feels like he would just be a caricature of, like, what we created before. Like, we, you know, we knew that those storylines that would involve Mixon. And we were excited about those storylines. We weren't able to use them. So we were like, well, this could be a way to... Uh, get to use all that old shit that we didn't get to use. Yeah. It was total Hollywood how we got her, too. I think, like, HBO had let Ted Danson go to CBS when they had him under contract, so CBS owed them a favor, so uh, they called in a favor. The gods of <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, wow. wow. They, they took the little figurines off the wall and put them in the arena. Right. <laughs> 
That's how it happened. That's a good one with Harry Hamlin. (laughs) (laughs) Harry Hamlin and Burgess Meredith. (laughs) May the gods. (laughs) 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 Monster. No, it's Burgess Meredith. Meredith. (laughs) I'm a chair. (laughs) (laughs) I still really, I you know, if you showed someone the original Clash of the Titans today, they'd be like, "What the fuck is wrong with you?" I still love. Love I mean, even the effects where you can see they're clearly like fighting in front of a projection screen. (laughs) And it still, it wraps you up in it. (laughs) It's like like that and like Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger are those two, which just like the effects are so bad. But because I watched them as a kid, I will never not love them. No, they're amazing to go back to. I know I have a two-year-old. I'm trying to like jam movies on him way earlier than I should, so I'm like already downloading like shit like Cloak and Dagger, and he's like, why aren't you getting this? Why aren't you staying? Come on, son, you love Dabney Coleman, huh? Here, let's put in nine to five. Kids love it. So he says, like, you know, what you had to understand about the uh, socio-political climate at the time was that it was uh, very male-dominant having to explain all this. I wonder what's going to happen to children of pop culture obsessives like us who, you know, like my parents just kind of let me find whatever I wanted. But there's so many people I know that are just like, sit down. You have to watch Pushing this. It. You have to watch this. Like, yeah. what's going to happen? What's going to happen to this next generation? They'll go against it. They won't want to yeah. have yeah. anything to do with anything that's fun. We're going to have so many great athletes <laughs> yeah. in this next generation. Yeah. <laughs> so many it. strong jocks. <laughs> Fuck my parents. I'm getting into sports. Yeah. <laughs> no. No. I just wanted you to go into stand up. How could you do this? <laughs> Did you uh, was your background improv and stand up? You were you did stand up, didn't you? I ne- no, I didn't do stand up. I uh, you know went, uh, Jody and I met at film school. I went to uh, we went to the school in North Carolina, North Carolina School of the Arts, and we went there for film. So our, our my background was like in screenwriting and directing is what I studied at school there. And we kind of out of necessity, just because we didn't know actors, would just put each other in each other's movies. And that was just like, <laughs> Absolutely. That's the start. What, what town was that school in? Winston Salem. Yeah. Oh, okay. Ooh! Very exciting. Yeah, because yeah. I always thought like all like the uh, arts and film stuff happened in Wilmington, North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. That's where we shoot our show. That's where we shoot it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, Dawson's Creek. You guys are probably pretty familiar with that. Uh, <laughs> a lot of good stuff going there. Yeah. <laughs> that Raleigh Durham Airport right yeah. there. Yeah. That, yeah. We all know that. <laughs> yep. The Piedmont Triad. Right. Yeah, Research Triad. There's a lot of names that are floating around that area. Yeah. <laughs> do you still have? Uh, do you guys still have homes there in that part of the country? My parents live there. Your parents still yeah, live there. Right there. But yeah, I got a home back in Virginia where I grew up, and uh, try to get back there every now and then. We shot this last season in uh, Wilmington, so we were basically yeah. in North Carolina for almost six months. So it was great. Yeah. You it's cool. Zach Galifianakis thing, just buy a farm. Yeah. And then just disappear. Yeah. <laughs> and then show back up. I have a kid now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's a dad. I, I know. Yeah, it's yeah. the craziest thing. Um, but uh, I, I know, you know, par- people probably saw Foot Fist Way or. Um, I, and actually, I thought you were great in This is the End, too. Oh, thank fucking you. Yeah. fantastic. Yeah. That was a fun movie. Yeah. Um, and then Tropic Thunder is probably one of my favorite movies of the last. 10 years but Foot Fist Way I remember that just being like it was that like last like rattle of just someone going I have this tape or like you know I have this thing <laughs> those old videos it's like you gotta see this movie and I think it was Aziz like Aziz got it from somebody and was just like it's like hey man you gotta watch this you know yeah, I'm sorry is that your Aziz <laughs> hey man this is delicious it's a delicious movie <laughs> Iron Chef Matsumoto loves this movie <laughs> Would have the to soundtrack know that, by LCD Sound System, man. People would have to know that he's a foodie to know that that's. The he'll thing. he'll let them know. <laughs> okay, you think, you think, you think but like, know. yeah, it was just like he came over and like just and it was 
great. It was just out of nowhere because it was just this like such you know funny movie that you didn't know where it came from, and yeah. it was like oh, it was at that time where you didn't. That you, that stopped happening as much. Where it's that, like you would hear about a movie that no one else knew about. That yeah. was our first deal together, and we um, it went to Sundance in 2006, and then um, like it didn't get bought right then. So then, through word of mouth, like what you're talking about, was kind of how we got kind of picked up by agents and got the film out there and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, people were passing it around, and all of a sudden we went from like just meeting we started meeting people like Aziz and Judd and all these kind of cool people. That's how we met Will and Adam. Oh wow, yeah. And then they distributed. They they picked up the movie. They right? picked it up, yeah, and got it. We sold it through Paramount, which was like they had just signed a deal with Gary Sanchez. We were the first film they put out. Oh, that's cool. Label, yeah, and I think very quickly they regretted picking up the film. <laughs> 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 they went, we, we had our first experience the test screening. We were like, well, they were like, why are they test screening this movie? It's not like we are going to go back and reshoot. <laughs> it's, it's, it's I, think, I think it was just to like they, they test screened. I think we scored like a thirty six or something yeah. terrible on it. You it know? was horrible. It was, uh, it was, yeah, it was great. It we was were like, trying to tell ourselves, like, Boogie Night scored terribly at test screening. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I have a list of those movies that make you feel better when you're bombed. Yeah. I've listened to, like, a lot of people like that. Like, it's like, well, Rodney Dangerfield didn't make it until you. <laughs> There's that. And then I, I always also call it the first season of Seinfeld syndrome because we always go, well, you know, first season of Seinfeld. Yeah, but, you <laughs> were, like, Conan O'Brien for, like, three years. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just took him a little day. It was a slow burn. It was a slow, the word slow burn. Burn. Like, yeah. oh, fuck. Uh, slow. How about a fast burn? Can I just have a fast burn? <laughs> Would a fast burn be okay? Uh, but and then was it? Uh, did you go on Conan or the the Late Show? We, we, oh, it was we Conan. Went on Conan. Yeah, in, in character as as, oh, uh, as Fred Simmons, and it was uh, that was awesome because the fact like nobody you nobody knew who I was, nobody knew about that movie, and so like as soon as we went on, we like looked at message boards and people were just like, "This man's karate school should be taken away from him. <laughs> <laughs> he, he shouldn't be allowed to work with children." He gives North. I'm ashamed to come from North yeah. Carolina. <laughs> I think I, I think I said told Conan fuck this show fuck and walked off. <laughs> I remember that. And I told Will to shut his mouth and he's had his time. He's had his time. <laughs> <laughs> that, but it's sort of like you said, even though it was just like it was a relatively short period of time or just a handful of years ago, it still is. Re- now, if you see someone do that, you're like, ah, they're doing a bow. That you know, everyone's everyone's so savvy to the idea of. That that kind of exactly. uh, stunt, it was like, yeah. you, you know, that was yeah. It's like it's crazy how much things change. But I guess people are just more informed by the internet yeah. now. You yeah, can't no, get no, away yeah. with anything. Huh? Yeah. Back in two thousand, <laughs> <laughs> well, there was like the Yo Yo Master guy. Do you remember that? Yeah, like, he got away with like I think like five regional uh, like uh, uh, television stations before he got picked up. It's on easier to punk the regions. Because they're de- like those morning news shows are fucking desperate for programming yeah. every morning. They just need to fill time. Yo, yo, guy, fucking hey, who cares? Yeah, so you you could sneak in there, and if you're relatively sincere, they'll they'll have you on. And they don't they don't catch on to stuff fast. Yeah, they they try to just let it breathe, like yeah. you know, Conan or someone like they would know. Yeah, but you could totally you totally could have pulled that off. Should have done done the morning show yeah. circuit, right? Who yeah. knew? Yeah. Well, you fucking blew it, Danny. <laughs> Now where did that get you? <laughs> what are you gonna do now? Um, but uh, what is it ultimately that you? I mean, is it obviously because you write you write a lot of the stuff that you work on? And is it? Do you want to do? What do you want to do ultimately? Oh, uh, you know, I mean, like our setup on Eastbound is pretty awesome. I mean, the fact that HBO lets us do whatever we want. You know, we employ our friends. We get to meet. You know. 
actors we've always wanted to work with and put them in the show. So it's like, I mean, you know, it seems like with HBO, you really get the freedom of, uh, you don't necessarily have in films unless you're making an independent film. And so that's pretty awesome. I mean, I'd like to perform, write, direct anything, you know, anything to be any part of, you know, making stuff I'm interested in. Who did we just have on the podcast that they, that worked with someone? I feel like we just had someone on Tom the Hanks. <laughs> no, no, we just we just had someone on the podcast and, and they they said they, they auditioned for I think it might have been Eastbound and they came in and they said oh it was, it was Ike oh, oh it was Ike Baron Holtz yeah, yeah. So, and he was going in for uh, Sudeikis's character that's why I thought you had oh, an yeah. improv background because Ike said you know you go in and then you just kind of start riffing with Danny and he said uh, you know if you can keep up with Danny then there's probably a good chance that you'd be okay on the show and Ike is a fucking machine he yeah, is yeah. He's pretty amazing you know, we were really worried when we were casting for that role for uh, for Ivan of last season because we, we didn't we were like man if we get uh, an American it's probably just going to be too silly so we actually like put out a casting call in Russia to find oh, <laughs> and, and, and so we have the most amazing auditions of like these like young Russian man who have have like they can't even they don't have they have no idea what the show is they have no idea the tone of it and it's just like standing next to their washer and dryer like after like a day of going through that we we're like we need to look for Americans yeah. <laughs> we thought we were being real we we're like man fuck this fuck this Hollywood stuff we're going non-actors yeah. real rush and like it's just terrible right. acting it's just... oh that's why these people don't make movies oh I get it there was a reason do you have any of those tapes I'm sure we can dig them up somewhere oh, fuck. I mean, if you if you if you do like a, when you do the next season of DVDs, you've got to put some of them. Yeah, but I think funny. technically you own that. Like if they audition for the show, I think that's you, they're all, they belong to us now. Yeah. They, they do. <laughs> they own most of Russia now. Yeah. <laughs> then you're gonna make you're gonna make some Russian guy really yeah. famous next to his walker and dryer. That's, that's the saddest detail of that. Just no better place to no, show. That was like, uh, the cleanest area from his family. He's saying he's doing chores. <laughs> <laughs> no son of mine is going yeah. to be actor. Every audition starts with them turning the camera on and walking back from it. <laughs> Father, why do we not just speak in Russian? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know Russian. <laughs> um, but uh, so, would you do when you finish the season of, of Eastbound, or is it, it going to wrap up? Like, are you really going to, like, wrap up the show? or do you... There definitely is a wrap-up to the whole series, for sure, at this. I mean, this has a climax for the whole series. Uh, and that was one thing that Joe and I wanted to be sure we had before we came back in, because we didn't want to... We were happy with what we did with the first three seasons. We didn't want to, like, just come back for one more and then suddenly, like, throw the whole thing off. You know, like, we yeah. really... We wanted to make sure that this story, like, lined up with everything we were building and, you know, could... You know, even with the ending, we want to make sure it was something that if we never came back to this character ever again or did anything with Eastbound ever again, that this would still kind of stand as a whole. Oh, that's nice. cool. Yeah. Did, did you did you ever, did you ever watch a show called Sledgehammer? <clears throat> oh yeah, that was back in. He was like, what was he a private eye or something? What was Sledgehammer? Yeah, it was oh, sort yeah. of like a um, like a, a a cop show satire. And then they had canceled the show. I know we talked about this in the show before, but they can't. They canceled Sledgehammer, and then. So they shot this episode where they just were like, fuck it. So they just blew up the earth. Like, they're just like, this, <laughs> this nuclear device gets detonated and they just fucking blow it up. And then over the summer, they decided to pick the show up again. <laughs> <laughs> and so then they had to come back. And the, basically the way they explained it was like, uh, what you saw last season definitely happens in ten years. Like they basically just oh, like man. went back. They just, set, they just set the clock back. 
Perfect. Yeah. The old lust. Brilliant yeah. structuring. You know, we, were, we were pretty yeah. nervous about that coming back for the season. Like, we don't just want to, like, Kenny goes to space. Or, you know, right. <laughs> <laughs> Kenny's out to sea. <laughs> like, <laughs> we want to start a baseball team on Mars. Yeah. <laughs> that idea Cha-ching. was pitched. Yeah. <laughs> you're fucking out of space? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we always thought the show might get canceled anyway. So, like, we, each season was designed like we had a bigger story in mind but it was also designed like every season it could end and you'd be satisfied is what we always thought so um i guess the season in a way is like not the others you know um where it does wrap up just for the season but it also wraps up like a bigger story too well it is kind of fun when you you must feel this way where when you're getting to do exactly what you want and there aren't really a lot of snags and it's like oh we're making the shows with our friends yeah people seem to like it and it's fun You expect at some point someone's going to come in and go, excuse me, uh, I'm with the universe, and uh, you're not allowed to do that. Um, so we're just going to take this away. Uh, <laughs> you've just been going on for the whole time? <laughs> no, 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 no. Shut that down. Shut up. Turn, Turn off the grid. Turn out with the powers. Yeah, right? it's powers. It's, it's, we're outside. Turn off the sun. Don't let it. Turn. But it must, it, it's like, is it the, the entire time you sort of felt like, I can't believe we get to just do this. For sure. And it's like we even wrote the show to, like, film in Wilmington, North Carolina, because we just like the beach down there so we would all just get to live at the beach all summer. <laughs> it's like, everyone's like why are you shooting in North Carolina in the middle of the summer you know it's like it's much nicer down there for shooting in the winter time we're like well the winter time is that beachfront house isn't going to do us much good in the middle of the <laughs> we have the boogie board <laughs> got this fucking Mori boogie board here I need to use <laughs> Do you remember did you ever see do you remember a movie with John Candy and Eugene Levy called Going Berserk? Do you remember that movie? That sounds familiar, yeah. Yeah, It was an early eighties it was like early eighties movie. It was like, you know, post post SCTV. But it's it, the movie weirdly starts off with John Candy like he's basically the head of this this tribal village. And it doesn't make any sense with the rest of the movie. And it's basically he starts off and he basically just tells the story that is actually the movie. And the tribal thing never pays off. And later I found out the only reason that they did that is because they just wanted to go to Bali. So they used, <laughs> they used movie money to go to Bali. And like, well, we got to shoot something here. So they basically just made the whole story seem like he was telling a tale to this tribe that they never explained why he was the head of it. Uh, just so they could just... The movie money's fun. It's a lot of it. Like, who was... Uh, Tom Lennon said, oh, when we were, we were, we were re- researching... Uh, one of the night at the museums were like, well, maybe we'll do it in London. So they just sent, they were like, go to London on us, first <laughs> class. We, we've always heard stories of that. So even on Eastbound, we were like, how can we take advantage of this? Like, how can we go on one of these research trips? And so for the second season, we always knew we were going to go down to Mexico, but HBO wouldn't let us shoot in Mexico. They just thought it was going to be too much of a liability. And so we were like, well, fuck, that was the Mexico idea so we could live in Cabo for uh, <laughs> So then we were like, well, the Dominican has a baseball history, and like that's supposed to be kind of cool. So like we like talked them into flying us to the Dominican for like uh, for like two weeks and taking some crazy tour of that whole country. Yeah. And it's at the end, we are like, we're not shooting it. Like, yeah, it was kind of like, was kind of, yeah. <laughs> not to like bash on the Dominican Republic. But, yeah, but if we were shooting in a resort, it would be cool. Yeah. yeah. We were like, we want to see the real Dominican Republic. This <laughs> So basically, the lesson is every time you're like, we wanted this to be real, and then you're like, don't do real that. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> real sucks. Yeah. Go to the fake Hollywood. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's much safer. <laughs> There's a reason people don't do it that way. <laughs> yeah, like at the time I went to Jamaica, it's like I was trying to get off the resort. I was like, hey, I want to go see real Jamaica. You don't want to see real Jamaica. <laughs> Dangerous. We, we, we came out of a bar and this there was just like this older drunk guy just walking down the street with his shirt open and a sawed-off shotgun. Sure. And, and, and we were just we were kind of like, whoa, that guy's a fucking gun. You know, and they were like, oh, don't bother him. You know, that probably doesn't even work. They just use him to scare people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like, yeah, That's a I cop. <laughs> They're just trying to do whatever they could to talk us into shooting. <laughs> Dude, look at that. <laughs> they had done fast. And, one of the Fast and Furious is there, and uh, they kept saying that Vin Diesel loves it here. Vin Diesel loves it here. <laughs> yeah. Vin Diesel's a lot bigger than us. He, uh, <laughs> he could probably handle the guy with the salt off <laughs> We would just be mush. <laughs> no, it's fine. Listen, this guy, is, uh, he has a reel. He wants, he wants to audition. <laughs> Yeah. It's just all of his headshots are him in oh, different outfits. Shotgun, yeah. shotgun. He's a priest with a shotgun. He's a reading a book in the library. Yeah. Yeah. Chef. Throw the football. With the yeah. He has a shotgun with the other shotgun. <laughs> well, that's what... I mean, it's... It, you guys have to go through the casting process, too. So you must, like, as, as a performer now, it's like ha- having people audition for you... It just totally changes your perspective on the whole business. It's, it's so uncomfortable, and you feel so bad. You feel like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just tough. That's a tough thing. You have to go into a room and, you know, do something that you planned on, and she had moved your day around so you could make the audition. You just come in, and you're just like, nah. You instantly know they didn't. Get. I, I I went to a, like very few auditions when I was like after I did all the Real Girls with David Green. There was like a month where I was like, well, maybe I'll try to be an actor. Like this seems like this could be kind of cool. And I went to like two auditions. One was like for the Onion movie that they were making, and I forget what the other one was. But I was terrible at both of them and just felt so self conscious when it was done. I was like, man, fuck being an actor. I'm not doing that. That's terrible. And so <laughs> it's just, it is just too much to swallow. It's and, the worst experience. Uh, it really is, man. I, my heart goes out to anybody who has to fucking drive in this town and go somewhere to sit in a room with a bunch of assholes and do their shtick and then yeah. and basically nothing. just dance. On yeah. Well, it is, it is. I mean, like the the idea of being just just an actor, and that's the only thing. It, it's so terrifying to me because there's so many things have very little to do with you as a person, mm-hmm. but that doesn't stop you from taking on all the rejection. I know, nonetheless. And we even Jody and I talk about that. It's like in the audition process too. It's like someone can be great, but we'll kind of know instantly when they come in before they even say anything. If like, nah, it's not what we're picturing. That's not their fault. It yeah, it's nothing yeah. they did wrong. And, that's why it feels like such a tough game when actually somebody comes in and nails them. I mean, Steve Little, we found Steve Little and Katie Mixon were both just through the casting processes. Like, really? You know, like, wasn't Steve Little? We didn't know him before, and it was really funny because everyone who was auditioning for that role was like really kind of like putting on the nerd factor, you know. And Steve Little just kind of brought this like <laughs> he was. I think he was trying to be cool. I think he was trying to be cool. <laughs> 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 it's really what won us over, <laughs> but even for Katie's, for Katie Mixon, you know, it's like that was the hardest role to uh, cast for the pilot. It's like we we saw every weeks, girl in Los Angeles, yeah. and it was like none of these girls look like what. Like the girls I went to high school look like that still live in North Carolina are teaching. Like they're all like they have these perfect yoga bodies and yeah. like you know and like Mixon just looked like a real girl. Though. She was beautiful, but like she looked like somebody that we knew or somebody that we had grown up with. And uh, we had that, that was instantly when we saw her. Like yeah, yeah we, we knew anybody who's yeah. like has not, what she not is. like an actress, not like an actress playing real who's just like I'll just throw my hair in a ponytail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll put on less makeup. I'll put on less makeup. <laughs> yeah. 
There was a there was a thing that like me and my wife love. Uh, we love looking at um, the extras in your show, uh, yeah. just because it's like there was this in the um, in the sports sesh, uh, the like the second episode. There's this like one shot. Uh, or it might have been the first the first episode that you guys showed, but like it was like there's this like one weird like PA guy just doing this weird like, like, yeah. <laughs> like and it's just like and that's like there's a bunch of there's just like the funniest like not I don't want to say funny looking because that's kind of stunning, but like there's just like the perfect looking people yeah. that you cast for the background, which just makes that world so much fucking red. We have a good extras casting, but we're pretty hard on them too. We're like don't bring us like sometimes you'll show up to a movie or something and it'll be like just like the best looking people. Be yeah. behind the cast, and you're like, that sucks. Like, that's not what it's people not, look like. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That was what was so crazy about like just Entourage, and I know that was probably part of their idea of like, it's like this is this is the best you can get, but like, but like, it's just like there's there's got to there's always some like I've been to those parties, and then, like so a guy like me should be there, just like, like just like fucking confused on how he got there. His friends like is the DJ, so he's like just there for free drinks. Like right. they, they never show like the weird looking guys, yeah. just always checking the phone. Yeah, just, uh, like, like, you're never gonna fucking believe where I'm at. It's like I'm in an episode of Entourage. <laughs> That was like in the in that second episode of a uh, third season, the one where Will Ferrell shoots the cannon off. Uh, the, the, the guy that gets killed in that scene, like that was nothing that was ever written in the script. It was like David Green, like his babysitter, while he found a babysitter while he was in North Carolina for his twins. And the lady came over with her husband, and David just saw this guy. I was like, "Dude, this guy is so fucking funny. We have to, uh, we have to just like find something for him." So we put him in this scene where you know when Kenny comes to meet Stevie at the car dealership, and Stevie's like washing cars, and when this guy was supposed to just kind of harass him at the beginning of the scene, and that was it. He was the character was done after that. And we just like ended up fucking with this guy so much, and he was so funny that we were like, "Well, we should." He should be at this dinner at Ashley Chambers' house the next night. So, so he comes to the dinner, and then he ends up like – he had never acted before. Uh, but it was so funny because we were just like teeing up. Like, you know, why don't you – Dave was just like, why don't you just start telling some crazy story about hunting? And he would go on this run, and then Will would just try to interject to add to it. And the dude would just stop talking and look at Will. Just like, <laughs> shut the fuck up. This is a bad thing right now. He didn't get that he was being part of the scene, that it was like, he was really like, I'm talking, you know, stop. <laughs> Don't you have enough? <laughs> and, and, by the, and then, like, the next day of shooting was when we were doing the cannon stuff, and we were like, we should kill him, dude. Wouldn't that be cool? Like, he got to, he gets to go on the whole run. He should, there should be a test run. Somebody should get killed. And, uh, yeah, and so, like, he was definitely disappointed. He was like, I die? I can't come back? Or, like... Dude, you were supposed to just be in the car dealership. Like, you have a whole fucking arc now. <laughs> you live here. You're not an actor. You were never going to be an actor. We can't take you with us. You, you gotta, gotta stay behind. behind. <laughs> See, you you gotta find like your own way. Staff. Come on, guys. Where are we going? <laughs> So I come back as a ghost? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Is that, but that's sort of kind of what you're going for is that feel of like <laughs> real but not, you know. Yeah. Which is yeah. a very hard, it's a very tough thing to engineer that. Yeah. Because real is, I mean, it's, I don't know, like a, that's sort of like American movie sort of a thing. Or, yeah, you know, I think the guys who did FUBAR kind of like did a good job of. Uh, do you ever see FUBAR, the sequel of FUBAR, Balls of the Wall? Have no. you guys seen those? I see FUBAR, FUBAR not Balls of no. the Wall. You got to see the fucking sequel. It's like, it's insane. Really? It's, but it's just like they do a good job of just like that fine line of it. It's just like, I, I've met, I've been to Canada, I've met a dude exactly like that. And just all, like, there's the main guys who are doing kind of bigger characters, but like, 
everyone that get around those people are playing it so real and they're not like gorgeous and they're just like there's people and they're just pulling it off and like it just adds to the like the reality of an entire situation do you think the fact that you didn't really set out to be an actor was helpful because you didn't you're not really super in your head about it It, it, I think it definitely was was yeah exactly because you're not like thinking about like oh I need to land this kind of role next or this kind of I think we I just basically look around to Jody and stuff just like this is hilarious that this has gone on this far (laughs) (laughs) no one is Shut this down. <laughs> you guys still in here? I told you to get out of here. I turned everything off. Remember when I came in? I said turn that on. I didn't turn it on. Um, so are you are you done shooting? Is everything everything all done? We're yeah, done shooting. We're, we're editing now. Yeah, we're editing the last two episodes now. So we're we're going to be done done well, like in three weeks. I yeah, guess. we're almost yeah. done. Yeah. Do you like the process, or is it does it seem daunting? I mean, because you're literally you guys are involved in all of it. Yeah. Every frame of it. It, 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 you know, it's it, great. It takes a I lot like of time, it. you know, for sure. It's like you don't get to do anything else when you're doing it. I mean, it's like it's it's immersive. You gotta you yeah. know be a part of every deal. But it's about a year, and I, I like writing to production as opposed to writing for development. You know, where it's like you're writing shit that you know in four months people are gonna have to say and you're gonna have to do it. Where sometimes you write for features, it's like, well, this will be a process that takes like two years, and then yeah. maybe it'll get made. Yeah, and, I don't like that either. But and then you'll forget by the end. Like, what were we saying? Yeah, you don't. You don't even like it at the end of those yeah. kind of things. You know? <laughs> it's like I don't want to make this, <laughs> especially with comedy because you, you know, you you evolve and you kind of grow up and you know you you probably shouldn't really love stuff you wrote two years ago, right? Yeah, too much. You, know? right. you, you should you should appreciate it, but not be like it's like man, I'm not doing it as good as those. <laughs> Yep, that's as that's as good as I'll ever get. Oh, no. So, what are you guys? Uh, what are you looking to do next? Are you going to do something else for HBO? Yeah, we saw that HBO show. Um, it's a it's kind of a three part show that's set in the world of high school, and um, they've uh, they've agreed to kind of it all shoots at one time. So they've agreed to kind of pick up. I don't want to give too many details away, but they've agreed to like pick up all the the shows at once. So um, oh, we're going to be making like kind of a miniseries yeah it's like it's gonna be 18 part show but like they've agreed to like do the whole thing and not just like well we'll see how the first six go oh fucking that's That's great oh that's fantastic so you know it's gonna start on episode one and end on episode 18 yeah Yeah. that's it and you know the complete story that's how you pitch it see that's how TV should work well, <laughs> <laughs> it's like people should have like and then this is how it all wraps up well that's great instead of just like keep it going I think it is now I mean I think you know, between HBO Go and Netflix, and you know, they're really starting to understand. Like, well, people just want to experience stuff all at once, so let's just make it and yeah. then just put it out there. I don't think it's effective. It's all at once. I think it's like the idea that people want to see a conclusion to things. You know, people want to see a story as opposed to just you know, life is every day. You don't need a show to be every day, right? You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I think it's just everything should have like a nice conclusion in it. But H- HBO is interesting because it's not. I mean. You know, obviously, the, their subscriber base is important, but it's not like they—they they don't necessarily have to worry about every rating point the same way that a network does, yeah. a TV, you know, like a, a main network broadcast network does, because. Then those people have to go to advertisers and be like, "Oh, sorry, these numbers." But HBO's like, "Well, fuck, you're already you're already on board, yeah. so you yeah. can just yeah. melt down those Emmys and sell that gold." <laughs> <laughs> Eastbound Secret is we we bring in a lot of uh, uh, HBO Go views and uh, on demand views, which we more than their other shows. So for some reason, we, oh. where our ratings aren't that high, but because of the on demand viewing, say keep us on their network. What's the uh, <laughs> what, what about the uh, the audience? It's like I know like a lot of like like you know people I know all love the show, but is there um, 
a certain aspect of the audience that might not find uh, the characters and situations like as ironic we always say this that there's like two types of fans there's like there's like the one type that totally gets the joke and you know appreciates it on that on that level and then there's the other type who comes up like man i'm fucking like kenny powers (laughs) (laughs) oh you're a piece of shit too (laughs) (laughs) i'm racist too me to be so much more racist than I normally am. Oh, no, 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 no. It's not a manifesto. It's a... Oh, no. Yeah, you can't control who's going to like your thing and yeah. why they're going to like or like what they're going they to... They usually touch Danny and grab him on the street. Yeah. <laughs> want to drink with me or fuck me? I don't know what. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a lot of tough, tough grabbing. Yeah. Hey, Danny, there's sure a lot of black people on here. What are you saying? <laughs> don't. No. No, 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 Please. Don't. Like, because then you must be torn as an artist. You're like, thank you. <laughs> but, please. Keckner says he has to deal with that a lot. Oh, Dave, really? Dave Keckner says it's like he'll have like fans that go like, it's like, hey, we really like your stuff. It's a very funny. He's like, oh, well, thank you. And then he'll walk another block and be a guy like, fucking champ, yeah! And it's just like, and be real aggressive. And I know, and then he must be like, yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> well, I'm sure, you know, I, I think Belushi got that a lot. Of, of just like the, the sort of, you know, he just resonated, because of Bluto, he just resonated with all these people that weren't necessarily, you know, yeah. the, the audience. And David Tell talked about that a lot, too, like at the height of uh, doing Insomniac, where just he would go and the guy would be like, hey, man, I want to buy you a shot. He's like, okay, only if you buy all of my friends a shot. And he, like uh, most guys would go, oh, never mind, you know, I'm a broke <laughs> piece of shit. Uh, but like he says, every once in a while, someone would go, yeah, I'll buy all five of your friend shots just so I can buy you one. Mm-hmm. And he's like, all right, and then I would do it. That's a good move. I, just, a, I usually just take the shot. <laughs> Waste it. Did you guys want anything? <laughs> Sorry, guys. It's <laughs> a good move. <laughs> do you go a lot of? Do you, do you go to a lot of the conventions, the, con, the, the uh, comic cons? I, I have uh, always liked to promote things and stuff. I haven't ever really been as just a fan. But I honestly, wasn't I didn't even know about them until I went to. Uh, I guess I'm trying to think of what the first one I went for. If it was uh, like Pineapple Express, maybe. But that's the first time I'd ever been to Comic-Con. It was the shit. It was had so much fun there. It was great. Yeah. yeah it's a good time. What's your, what, what's your sphere of influence? Are you a sports guy or are you like a... Uh, not really a sport. I mean, Jody and I didn't know anything about, about baseball or anything when we wrote the show. I mean, it was kind of like a profession that we just kind of pulled out of thin air. <laughs> that we were just like, well, what would be the most unlikely guy to like be teaching gym? At a, you know, and we just kind of, you know, we pulled out baseball. But it, we, we, we thought so little about it. That it wasn't even until like a few days before we started shooting the pilot that we both. Were, I was like, "Fuck, dude! I don't even know how to throw a baseball, dude. I'm gonna have to do this in the show, dude. Like, well, maybe we should get someone to teach you." And then it's like we brought the guy in. He's like, "How many days until you guys shoot?" And we we're like, "Well, about a week." He's like, "You guys are fucked." <laughs> <laughs> so we just we just learned, uh, you know, to shoot all the baseball stuff very close. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just, so you, just your arm is thrown yeah. out. Yeah. So what was what was what what kind of stuff influenced you? Just movies, I guess. I mean, it's kind of we went to film school together, so um, you know, I guess we always kind of we never even really wanted to do comedy. It was just kind of like Foot This Way happened to be. We came up with a funny idea with that, and that kind of started us on a comedy path. Um, but um, yeah, just kind of like. Um, I don't know, shared shared love of like 70s films and stuff like that. You know? Yeah, and with all the stuff that we've done there, like Foot Fist or Eastbound, it's like we sort of don't approach them like they're comedies. We kind of approach them as if they're dramas and like, you know, the more serious the character takes it, kind of the funnier it yeah. becomes. And so even with how we structure our seasons and stuff, we never like really think about 
the structure of like the button joke or any of that sort of or stuff. The yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we really kind of just try to arc it out, like you know, to make sure the dramatic beats are there, and then we'll just improv the jokes, and we'll make yeah. sure that we have uh, you know a good enough foundation on the page, but we don't ever like get into any like heated arguments about whose joke stays in or goes. Yeah. Just, you know, you just end up shooting it and just saying 50 jokes and then figuring out which one is too much or which one's not enough. And a lot of comedy guys that we know are always talking about how many jokes to get in per minute and stuff. And we don't usually think about that. Like, it's, it's really just like a drama with funny lines in well, there. Th- that's know? what I felt about. We try to take out punch lines too. Yeah. Can, you know? that's it. And it works. I think the really cool thing about all your stuff, like even like observer report or Eastbound or foot foot sway is that it's a, uh, it's just like it's the story of like like a, a horrible person and like it's like people are used to one they're watching a movie it's like they need a protagonist like they feel the need to cheer for somebody and you guys just show them that there's you can't cheer for the main guy it's like, it's like, it's like, and you dare people to like, it's like it's like oh you kind of starting to like him and then they do something get horrible and you're like oh what are you gonna do now uh, it kind of challenges people's like idea of like what they do when they watch movies which is like they connect with someone in the film and then they like they go I'm I'm that guy I'm gonna and then you know, that person maybe date rapes somebody. <laughs> like, you know, maybe not. Well, but I, I but I do think that um, I, I think with having kind of like the shithead protagonist is that it really that people really do identify with that because yeah. they definitely see shades of like of their own behavior. Oh yeah, I get that. You know, <laughs> even, even, even if they're not the whole Kenny Powers package, yeah. there still might be things that are like, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. shades of Draper. <laughs> but uh, um, you know, when you think about what were protagonists were like even 20 years ago you wouldn't have really dared to have the main character of your thing be super shitty yeah uh, and now i feel like it's like as a culture you know with like breaking bad or or, or mad men or or even you know a lot like a lot of the popular shows like it, there is something like the the main character they really do just constantly dare you like yeah. dare you to like this guy and, and, and that was that was kind of an answer to some ways like when i had sold a few screenplays uh before we made foot fist way and like nothing got made but the like in a way, Foot Fist Way and Eastbound, these things, they were kind of an answer to like the notes we would constantly get on scripts from development, that the character has to be likable, <laughs> that this and this has to happen by this page or that page. And, you know, for us, that was kind of what was cool about Eastbound is we, we always have approached every season as if it is just one, like, long movie. And I just don't really think we'd be able to go into a studio and have someone greenlight, like, a four-hour dark comedy, you know. Yeah. But with, <laughs> with, with, East, with TV, you're able to kind of bite off that kind of story. You don't have to we, – we've talked about Eastbound if it was a movie like I just don't think it would work I think you, it would be too predictable of what benchmarks have to be hit you know it's like alright well at this point you will like him and at this point you won't and when you can have those other episodes you can take these like detours and go spend more time with other characters and yeah. know, the format of it just felt a little bit more uh, like it hadn't been traveled as much as you know just a conventional 90 minute comedy and you know in the feature world yeah. well yeah you can take the journey with the character too and you can get to know them better, and it, it, like the, the 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 movie thing still, you know, like it's hard. It's so hard to surprise people in, in, in with movies anymore, especially with with comedy, because you know it's like there's so much stuff out there. How do you keep surprising people with jokes? I'm like, well, I guess it's probably easier if you can if you can just let it breathe a little bit more. And yeah. take, or you gotta you gotta trick them. Like, you know, one of the funniest comedies come out like last year was Cabin in the Woods. Which wasn't really a comedy. It didn't yeah. set out to be, but it was. Mm-hmm. You know, you gotta, you gotta, like, do. You gotta kind of go around the bend to actually surprise people comedically. It seems. Are there other genres you guys want to tackle? Would you guys do like horror or sci-fi or 
Yeah, I would. All yeah, all, all, yeah. yeah, I would be up for any genre. I mean, I really uh, snuff. Yeah, snuff. Yeah, snuff. We we actually Porn. have a few of those. We yeah. have a few of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we made them when we were kids, though. So they're on VHF. Yeah. So they haven't held up very well. <laughs> <laughs> then that's where you go find the Russian guy with the. Oh, he's snuff film. Oh, well, I'll be right back. <laughs> like you just like if, if the camera clean washer tilt- dryer combo. <laughs> <laughs> if the camera just tilts up a little bit, you see in the washing machine there's just a hand. You see a little glimpse. But what is it? What is it about? Uh, you know, when you kind of lock onto a character, is do you do you like just trying to find all the nooks and crannies of that character and just figuring out how to open them up like when you're not even just for your character but for other characters how much do you like to explore I mean I think like with Eastbound you know Danny mentioned we don't know anything about baseball but um what was cool about it is that he's Kenny Bowers is essentially like a modern day hero and that kind of idea gave us kind of free range to like I don't know it gave it some kind of context that we could like kind of do our thing make the jokes we want to make say what we want to say about you know kind of human interaction that kind of stuff but there was kind of this like broader platform that kind of worked so um um we were able to kind of wrap our heads around that and say okay this there's like that's a jumping off point the fact that he was a baseball player that like kind of lets us kind of work in between all that to make jokes and yeah. that kind of stuff you yeah know? we feel like kenny is like uh his whole education just like comes from like cable television and so it's like with every like like human situation he's in we're always approaching like what movie does kenny think he's in right now? <laughs> We're friends with the guy with the guy who made Black Dynamite, oh, and, yeah, and yeah. you know, the, the, and their approach was they, they had sort of a similar kind of meta approach where they said, you know, we weren't they they weren't performers as themselves making the movie. They were like '70s sports stars yeah. <laughs> who were then making <laughs> that movie. Yeah, I think Black Dynamite was a football. Player. He, was like, he was like, oh yeah, yeah, he, yeah that's you know, brilliant. He played, he played <laughs> the director like he's like he's all my character on set was I was like this old Jewish guy just trying to make money by directing a black PlayStation, and so that's how they would interact with each other. <laughs> that's such a that's a that's a real fun way to do it. That should have been like a, just a fucking extra on the DVD. It was that movie. It was like a, now Black Dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it'd be, I, I would love to see you guys do something in horror. I yeah, think that'd be. be I think that'd be really. I think that'd be really fun. And again, Tropic Thunder. Fucking, I, I had the experience of seeing Tropic Thunder in Los Angeles with uh, an LA crowd, and then when I went to visit my dad in Memphis, I saw it with the Southern crowd, mm-hmm. and it was so funny to see like the laughs were in completely different places. It's nuts how divided the world is in comedy that way. I mean, yeah. you can see something in a city, and it plays one way, and in a small town, it's totally different. Well, every, every, one of those jo- every one of those industry jokes where they were making fun of like how movies get made, or trailers, or just like the, or, like the genre films, or just the way that productions inter- like how a production works totally lost on the on the southern crowd but then all of the all of the other all the other stuff just like the way you guys interacting and you just blowing shit up like they fucking they loved it <laughs> didn't I, I didn't i tell you my dad thought that the booty quake thing at the beginning booty quake booty yeah sweat. booty sweat. sweat they thought it was a real commercial yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah well it's because it's like you know we when we go to see movies we're like and we go to theaters where they like dare not show commercials but the rest of the country has probably five like commercials for like coke and fucking you know energy drinks and all that shit so it's like 
it probably was more seamless uh, uh, yeah, in theaters probably. like that, where it was like actual commercials and then those commercials. Yeah. So it was probably more uh, believable there. Not every city has an arc light, you guys. <laughs> we talked about Pasadena, Sherman Oaks, Hollywood, <laughs> and, my, and my favorite city, Beach Cities. <laughs> All the majors. All the majors. <laughs> Would you, would you guys, would you guys want to make a really big budget film, or do you like, would, would you, would you, do you feel like having too much money to make something or too much responsibility is just that kind of ruins the process for you? I, I, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but I feel like there comes a certain like level of responsibility when you take a studio like a ton of the studio's money. Yeah, you know, what I mean, like me and David Green learned a lot on Your Highness when we like try to make a movie that we would have liked when we were thirteen years old, and we spend a bunch of the studio's money and just make a fucking one and a half hour dick joke. And Monsters of Mantor. I, I, I really like I really like I think it was just like law I think no one really got what me and David were like. We were like, well, we made a movie that kids would just sneak into or that you would stay yeah. up late at night and watch on cable. And she was like, but we need them to pay money to go see the movie. <laughs> oh, so you don't oh. get paid when they sneak in? Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, Your Highness was great because it, it did seem like a long time that anyone tried to uh, tackle like a comedy fantasy. Because, like, you know, Princess Bride, and that was like a, you know, that was a nice movie. It was like, but like there was no, there was like so many things to pull from, like Willow, Princess Bride, and Labyrinth, and all that shit. And like I thought it was, I thought it was a lot oh, of fun. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Uh, yeah. We, uh, but it's like with that, you know, there's a, you know, it's it's fun, obviously, to be to walk onto a set like that where there's like real money being spent and you're seeing all the stuff you wrote like being brought to life. But the, you know. If you want to do something a little off or anything, it's like, you know, you, that, that's where the process can get a little more painful. You know, when you go to screenings and you get notes from test screenings that you're like, fuck, you know, like we have to change all the stuff I like just yeah. to satisfy like these idiots who didn't really get it anyway. <laughs> and you end up with something that you're kind of half in, half not. I don't know. There's a there's something to be said for flying under the radar and like making as little of an imprint as you can. And then it's all kind of a win after that. Yeah. The uh, test screening in Pacoima didn't like the color orange. Yeah. So can you just take anything orange out of the We can do that. <laughs> so we're going to... So I know we said there was no more money in the budget, but we're going to give you $10 million more million to go in and do the... Because I remember working on a movie once where we didn't have... It was the one of the Rob Zombie movies where they just gave him like, uh, you know, a little bit of money to make the movie. And they were like, okay, we're going to double your budget just to go reshoot the ending. And they were oh, yeah. too, like, almost like the ending didn't even, you know, it was a whole, like, the production value was insane. <laughs> but then, of course, it's that much more response. Like, when you take more money, yep. it comes with a price of, yes. like, now we're really going to be paying attention to what you're doing. Yeah. 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 I think when you get to a certain level, it's probably cool to do, like, a big, I don't I mean, like, you got to imagine Nolan, they were probably, like, on the third Batman, were like, yeah, man, we trust you, you know? But yeah. I think, like, at this point, it'd be work for hire kind of stuff where you know you're definitely you know under under somebody's thumb you know when you do it well i i foolishly i i feel like i i had the point of view of a lot of people where i would go well why wouldn't a studio just give you like why don't they just crank out like five million dollar you know comedies like yeah. even if it, even if they were you know sci-fi or like you know like effects are good like why not just make really inexpensive that seems so logical to me and then you realize like yeah, but but if you're getting if you're getting that much money, then it's really thirty five million dollars because then they're going to spend twenty or thirty million dollars marketing it. So yeah. then at that point, it's like a thirty five million dollar movie, and then a thirty five million dollar movie 
changes the rules on what they're, you know, like they don't just give yeah. you five million dollars and you run off and then that's it. No. Yeah. And then people go see it. Like shit has to get marketed. <laughs> but Someone's then they've got to pay for those AV Club banner ads. But there's this weird <laughs> But there's this weird there's this weird budget dead zone in film, I think, between like thirty million and like two hundred million. Where it's they don't it's not in that in between zone. It's not quite enough to be enticing to the upper levels because they're not going to make a billion dollars potentially. Maybe. But then it's also too much for a lower budget. So yeah. I once I once pitched a show to HBO and like they responded with like it's too small. Like it's like they have like a they 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 definitely have a top, but like there was like a bottom too, and like we didn't reach the bottom. Of like the scale of the so show. it's about There's a just... Russian guy in a laundry room. Yes, he's uh... it's too small. <laughs> no, no, no. It's a washer dryer combo. No. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, what is the cubic size of the? Uh, I don't know. Not big enough. I don't know. Because <laughs> the character wouldn't know. <laughs> that is kind of funny to hear that something is too small because you would logically think, no, that means you spend less yes, money. But yeah. they, but these these companies have budgets and they have to. If they don't spend money, then sometimes their parent companies take away their allotment because they're not spending it yeah. um, but then so much money gets wasted yeah. but you guys made foot fist for like 80 grand right yeah yeah, yeah those credit cards on that one holy shit <laughs> 80 grand in a lot of favors yeah well yeah we uh, like, like Danny was saying we went to school of the arts so we went to uh, that school and Basically, they let us use their senior class. Like, just all these kids who were like still in film school at the time came and lived. My dad owned some small apartments, and it just so happened that a lot of people were moving out of the apartments by the time uh, production rolled around. So, um, all those kids just like stayed in Concord and lived in those apartments, and oh, wow. we paid them all. Everybody on the crew got two hundred dollars a week. I remember that. Like, yeah. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> it didn't matter if you were the DP or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that was such a good feeling. We finished that movie. I mean, it's been a better feeling than anything I've ever been on. You know, where you have gotten paid money to do it. I mean, uh, yeah, when you're just doing something that's on your own and there's no expectations on it, and there's no rules about it. They're really it's kind of hard to really beat that and no. I think because we have a taste of that it kind of makes us a little reluctant whenever you do if you do have the opportunity to kind of step up and have to suddenly play by somebody else's rules it's just a little you know kind of takes a little of the fun out of it yeah. but I also think that that is like you know a movie like that for, for 80 grand like that's also part of the, the subgenre of the movie like you it if you had had 100 million dollars to make that movie it wouldn't have been the same movie yeah, even if yeah. you did it shot for shot exactly the way it was you kind of need it to be a little gritty and a little dirty so that it it fits the tone of the movie we actually thought about that like when we were making it um we were like all right there's no way this is going to be like a big budget movie it's probably going to look bad it's going to be this and that so we were like all right let's just make it rough and uh even if you notice in that movie every all the music hard cuts like there's never once where it fades out it always just cuts off right in the middle and we were like alright it's just gonna be rough and we're gonna it's almost like a punk band's first album that has all the hisses on the tape and yeah. stuff where you kinda like it because of that yeah yeah mm-hmm. love that well we're about at our hour that was, that was an hour you guys that, was that it? flew by yeah it just flies by wow. can't yourselves. believe it <laughs> I'm sweating. <laughs> um, but Eastbound's or it it started in September, right? It was like you're like two or three episodes in at this point. Second episode was just this past. Second episode was just past. Yep. So, um, and how many episodes total are there? Eight. eight episodes for the last season. Uh, well, congratulations on. I mean, this really is. You guys kind of are the the dream and the and the idol of a young filmmaker performer who's like, I just want to make something. Like, well, just go fucking make it. Yeah. Just make it, and then you know, and then people will find it. 
Um, so congratulations. And Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys for having us on. We appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, guys. Anytime you want. When HBO picks up season five. Kenny in space. You heard it here first. When he starts the the Martian Marauders team. But, yeah, then you'll come back. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Enjoy your burrito. I wanted to ask you about who chooses the music for this stuff. I know this is seems like it's still part of the interview. but When it first started, we used to pick it all ourselves. And then now we have a couple of our buddies working for us. And it's got Devo too. Um, it it's yeah. like it's really. We kind of ran out of all our music after the first well, couple yeah, seasons. First, first two seasons. Yeah. <laughs> I remember because even like in uh, Observer Report, you had like really good soundtrack in that. Oh. Had, there was like a what was that band? Had the lightsaber cocksucking blues song. Oh, um, McCluskey. McCluskey. Yeah, yeah and I remember like I saw those guys in their last. Uh, before they broke up. Oh, at the, at the oh, at the Troubadour. Yeah, I saw like the, like sometime that year, like at the Echo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're really good. Yeah, right? fucking great. His new band's not as good. He's good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I kind of. Th- this is actually we're still podcasting. I guess apparently, but. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, no, no. no. Let, me get, let me get back into my character. <laughs> Fuck you, Chris. You guys pass. Do that dick thing, you guys. <laughs> Shit. They call me talking about McCluskey. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just thinking about that. I, I don't know why. It just. It, it just it, but the idea is that if you had been like comedy performers, then that first season of your show would have been the culmination of like all the jokes you had written up to that point. And then for season two, you were like, "What the fuck?" But coming from the filmmaker side, the process must have just been like, "Okay, well, that's the story we were telling there. Now let's just go write this part of the story." Yeah, pretty much. So I mean, we joked around. We were shoot- we didn't we didn't think we would get past the pilot, let alone once we got past the se- a first season. We really didn't think we would get picked up for a second season, and. Uh, we kind of joked around. We're like, well, if we do get picked up for a second season, this shit it shouldn't be anything the same. We should go to Mexico and just have a whole new cast and do that. And, uh, yeah, when they picked it up, uh, Jody Howard, like, they were like, what's the season about? I'm like, well, he goes to Mexico and it's all new people and uh, none of the other people will be on the show I've ever seen. And uh, we tried to write a version of it where he didn't go to Mexico and it just felt lame. It was like, we just wrote yeah, this last yeah, season. Yeah. 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 Cool. Shit. All right. Cool. Thanks, guys. Cool. Off to work. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Now leaving Nerdist.com. Enjoy your burrito. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books.